Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello, you're very welcome to The Tonight Show. As tarnished uh, Leo Varadkar and Sinn Féin's finance spokesperson Pierce Doherty clashed today in a heated exchange which was characterised by personal attacks. Do you think it was just a distraction from our cost of living crisis or more? I really thought somebody who in which the DPP is currently assessing whether they'll prosecute you under the Corruption Act, maybe you would be a bit more humble. It's particularly strange coming from you because you were prosecuted. You abused, mistreated Agarda Shiakana. Alcohol is a factor in one in four deaths of young men, according to a new report. We'll be discussing that. And later, Matt Aaron's Joanna Donnelly will be here to bring us through the European heatwave. What can we expect? Get in touch on Twitter with your comments and questions on hashtag tonight VMTV. Leo Varadkar and Sinn Féin's finance spokesperson Pierce Doherty clashed in a heated debate in the Dáil today whilst discussing the cost of living crisis. It kicked off with Doherty accusing Varadkar of being out of touch on the matter and the exchange soon descended into a bitter row that was characterised by quite personal attacks. Let's take a look. You hosted a private dinner last night to celebrate Fine Gael's decade in power. The ESRI was finalising their report on energy poverty in this state. There was no public money involved. Um, you host dinners in America, you charge people $1,000 a plate to attend, and your party leader flies first class to get there. That's what you do in the middle of a, of a cost of living crisis. So that's a cheap shot, particularly coming from a hypocritical party like yours. I really thought somebody who in which the DPP is currently assessing whether they'll prosecute you under the Corruption Act, maybe you would be a bit more humble in relation to your response. It's particularly strange coming from you, because you were prosecuted. You abused, mistreated Agarda Shiakana. For that, you were prosecuted. You were found guilty. Uh, yes, you got away without a conviction uh, because of your age at the time. Now, the courts will decide, and they decided on you. They decided on you. You were prosecuted. You were taken to court. Now, for more on this story and the continuing energy crisis, I'm joined in studio by the owner of Michael's Restaurant, Gaz Smith, Fianna Fáil Senator Lorraine Clifford-Lee, former CEO of Bernardo's, Fergus Finlay, editor of Irish Country Living magazine, Amy McKeever, and Irish Examiner political correspondent Paul Hosford, and via Skype this evening, People Before Profit, TD Paul Murphy. You're all very welcome uh, to the programme. Uh, Paul, I'm going to start uh, with you because a lot of people, I suppose, won't really know what it was that uh, Leo Varadkar was referring to. Uh, Piers Doherty has said, look, it's been covered widely in um, the media in the past, but you might just remind people uh, what he was talking about. Yeah, this was a case back in 1998 when Pierce Doherty was, was about 20 or 21 years of age. <clears throat> he was involved in, in, what, in what was described as a 
public order in incident at a, at a taxi rank. It was dealt with under the Probation Act. He, he was convicted, he, he was found guilty but not convicted because of uh, Leo Varadkar told challenge because of his age and because of his, his previous good record. It has been uh, dealt with before. It has been uh, kind of dra dragged up every now and then and, uh, and it's something that, that does come up uh, occasionally in, in relation to Pierce Doherty. It was strange to hear it brought up in, in the context of today's discussion. It, it's strange to hear it brought up in, in leaders' questions in, in the Dáil Chamber. Uh, it was a fairly uncharacteristic, well, not, not uncharacteristically, but a, a, a very catchy and, and very personalised debate during, during leaders' questions. Mm, and I was uh, reading one of the other uh, political correspondents today, uh, their analysis, and they said it was the most personalised and bitter exchange between government and opposition that they had seen in the Dáil Chamber for years. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. The, 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 you know, you kind of rack your brains at times like this and you go back over and you think, you know, Micheál Martin and Mary Lou MacDonald get into tetchy uh, exchanges during leaders' questions, uh, almost on a weekly basis at, at this point. But normally they're, uh, I suppose, they're, they're around the fringes. They're never as personalised uh, as this. They're never about as, uh, as personal uh, an incident as this. Uh, you know, Pierce already touching on the, the, the ongoing DPP uh, investigation into Leo Varadkar. Leo Varadkar coming back with, with Pierce Doherty's uh, previous <coughs> criminal, criminal record. It was, it was, it was very, very personalised, you know, we see it, uh, we, we understand that these people are gunning for the same positions um, and that, that, that there's a natural uh, friction there. But, I mean, for, for it to get that personal, particularly one, one person who texts me, uh, a Sinn Féin TD who texts me about it today, said they usually don't expect Thursday's leaders' questions to be that interesting because by the end of the week, it's kind of all played out. So, so Thursdays are kind of the, the one that you're supposed to be able to switch off for, but today's was... was must watch TV. Uh, Fergus, we do see, um, you know, pretty bitter exchanges at times within uh, Dial Ireland, but they don't often get uh, as personalised. But we know that, you know, afterwards, a lot of these politicians are quite friendly. They can be, you know, polite to each other. You know, there's no uh, huge animosity uh, between them. But there's little love lost, isn't there, between uh, Sinn Féin and Fine Gael in particular at the moment? Well, I, yeah, I'm not in Dial Ireland at the moment, so I don't know whether or not they'll go off and have a pint afterwards. Uh, neither Leo nor Pierce Doherty strike me as the clubable kind, uh, likely to throw their arms around each other. I have to say, I thought today's row was disgraceful. I thought it was absolutely appalling. Um, I'm, and it was also completely and absolutely counterproductive. Those kind of personal attacks do not work. They, you might think they do, you might get a moment of satisfaction out of them. But I'm, I'm old enough to remember... God help me, Gareth Fitzgerald launching a very strong personal attack on Charles Hawhey when he referred to his flawed pedigree and so on. It copper-fastened Hawhey's hold on his own party. I'm, I'm old enough to remember Padraig Flynn launching a really strong personal attack on Mary Robinson on radio. Um, it's, it won the presidential election for Mary Robinson. So Those then things who... blow up in your own face when you do them. And to be fair... So who does it, whose face does it blow up in, well, in that regard? Was it Leo Varadkar or, 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 no, or well, Pierce Doherty, Doherty that Doherty took the wrong tack? Doherty started it. Um, and if Varadkar had kept his dignity, he'd have won. But Doherty won because he let... Uh, he, uh, the to let uh, Pierce Doherty get under his skin. Um, and he looked uh, bad-tempered, brittle, um, uh, and, and unnecessarily hostile. He could have gone back to dealing with the issues uh, that they were supposed to be there. He could have 
you know, described uh, Doherty's attack as just unworthy and moved on, because it was unworthy. It was completely unworthy in the context. Um, very, very strong politics needs to be about politics. When it's about people and persons, uh, you know, the, that kind of personality stuff, it's, it's vicious and it's totally counterproductive. Nobody, I mean, you know, it was like two tribes button heads today. And no doubt the tribes will say, go on, yeah, boy, yeah, when, you know, when they so see... So the Fine Gael supporters are delighted well, with Leo Varadkar's attacks perhaps, and the Sinn Féin supporters are perhaps, delighted. Perhaps. But those people in the middle who perhaps could both be attracted either way, they're lost, are they? Both of those are, parties are trying to build a wider base. Um, both of them lost ground in trying to build a wider base by that kind of tactic. All right. And just to be clear, we did ask uh, Fine Gael and Sinn Féin to come on the programme this evening, but neither of them uh, were available. Piers Doherty did send in a statement to say that it was, you know, three decades ago, he was involved in a very minor breach of the peace in Dublin city centre. It was dealt with under the Probation Act, as you said, Paul, and it was covered in the media on numerous occasions. He said that the Tanisha had to grasp for this to cover his decade-long failure in government. Uh, he said that was very telling. Uh, Lorraine, is that what this was? Was it, was it a cover-up? Was it a distraction? because they were discussing, you know, a quite serious ESRI uh, report today. Is that what this was about for the government? Well, I, I was personally very dismayed when I saw what happened earlier on today. It just reduced the doll to a Punch and Judy show. It's something that we see happen in Westminster all the time. But we, we don't expect it or we don't like it here in this country. I think neither man covered themselves in glory today. And I thought it was a particularly low point when uh, um, a deceased individual was referred to and was called a vagabond, actually, by the Taunashta. I thought there was no need for that. Uh, it was a really low blow, to be honest. People are struggling out there. They don't want to look at this carry-on. And, and Fergus was dead on when he said they're just appealing to their own bases. And both parties have clips taken from that uh, confrontation and they're pushing it out on social media. And we know how the social media algorithms work. It's like the, the 90 seconds of rage uh, get more uh, traction online. And it's a really, really low point that we have fallen to in politics when you have two tribes, as, as Fergus described them there, just going at it and forgetting about people in the middle. They're only trying to appeal to their own base. And I really hope we don't see more of this in the future. I think both of them should maybe reflect on their behaviour. Uh, Paul Murphy, I take it uh, you would agree because today they were meant to be discussing uh, this ESRI report, weren't they? Yeah, I, I think it was a deliberate distraction by Varadkar um, from the point that one in three people in the country are now experiencing energy poverty. Um, and the reality that the government's message is to say, well, you have to wait, you have to wait until the budget, then you might have to wait till next year for the measures to be applied, um, when the reality is people simply cannot wait. They're facing thousands of euros of increase in prices in terms of petrol and diesel, in terms of electricity, in terms of heating costs, in terms of uh, grocery bills, and people cannot wait. I'm just wondering, um, uh, Paul Murphy, because I do want to get to that, I'm just wondering, do opposition TDs need to be careful too about launching personal attacks on government who are making, you know, at times very difficult decisions? Sure, I, I don't think that personalised attacks are, are helpful. I think the only reference that Pierce Doherty made that Radker interpreted as being personal was a reference to this Fine Gael dinner the other day, which was a, quite a different register in reality to the points about this thing involving yeah. Pierce Doherty 20 years ago or he whatever. He did talk about the DPP investigation, the ongoing investigation. In response, that's true. In, in fairness. Um, 
But that is a, a political issue about the, the Taoiseach being investigated uh, under a Corruption Act, um, which is the currently ongoing uh, thing. But the, the, the main point I, I would make is that the government will do nothing if we let them away with it. The only way that will force them to take action in terms of price controls, rent controls, free public transport, etc., is by building right. a movement like we did on the water charges. And there's a very important protest this Saturday at one o'clock at Parnell okay, Square. And I want and I want to talk about that report today. I want to go to you, Amy, because, look, it wasn't surprising, uh, that ESRI report today, but it was stark. Three out of ten people in this country spending 10% of their net income on energy bills, and that's, that's not anything to do with your fuel costs as well. So, <clears throat> this has been flagged for the last couple of months. The um, central bank came out with the report very early in the year that flagged that inflation and, and fuel poverty was going to be a serious, a serious issue. But I suppose when we when we look at where where the trajectory of this is going as well, this is this is certainly kind of I suppose the lighter end of the of the stick. And one of the the comments that was made by um, in the Dáil Chamber this morning was that they were out of touch with reality and out of touch with people on the ground. And I think that that's that is a, that is a big issue because. Although this, and this was a distraction today, and the fact that we spent the last little while talking about that, as opposed to the, the fact that 29% um, that of Irish households are now deemed to be in energy poverty in the summer months. You know what I mean? We, what happens by the time we get to the winter? And I think in rural Ireland as well, um, this is actually worse. Because and the ESRI identified yeah, that, didn't yeah. they? Older people, people on you know, uh, social welfare supports and rural Ireland disproportionately affected. Because they, they're, the two things that have risen are energy, and food and those things and transport is a massive issue in, in rural Ireland. They, there is no other way to get around. You know what I mean? You don't have a bus network. You can't switch. You're reliant on your transport for your, uh, for your schools, to get your kids to school, to get, to, to get your shopping. And then, and I know we'll talk to Gaz as well, the impact then that everything, in, that everything that's driving energy drives everything else. Do you know what I mean? It's driving costs across the board. It's driving costs for food. It's driving costs for any kind of consumer goods. And this was a problem before the Ukraine. Things had started to rise. And, and it's now it's been exacerbated. Oh, yes, and Gaz, we do talk a lot, I suppose, about the impact that this energy crisis and this cost of living crisis is having on households. But for you as a business owner, it is really affecting you in, in I suppose, twofold. Your own uh, bills increasing all of the time and, I suppose, the amount of disposable income that your customers have decreasing all the time. It's a double whammy. Absolutely. And that's why we, it was very frustrating today. Rather than hearing um, focus-based solutions and maybe bringing forward the the budget we were forced to watch some very personal pace bubbles that serve no purpose whatsoever um, we've gone through crisis after crisis after crisis we didn't get any form of pressure release after the lockdowns we walked straight into a war nobody knows what's looming over the next nine to twelve months the door was closed last week they've wasted one more one more news cycle here. They're closing up for two months. We are we are sleepwalking into an absolute crisis, um, and they they both had to cop on. And the government's making it clear today. The teacher's saying today, look, there will be measures in the next budget. It's three and a half months away. This will be a cost That's of living too long. Uh, budget. We can't wait that long. Like like uh, we simply cannot wait for three and a half months to hear what they're going to do, and then one more month that you know what we. We need actions now. Um, everything is rising drastically. The disposable income is diminishing weekly. Um, the first thing to 
to really spook people is the price of fuel. Um, it's, it's the first thing that impacts on your pocket. Even the people who would have saved up a few quid during the lockdowns, they're cautious about spending it now because... And that's having an impact on your uh, business. For sure. And, and I suppose, Lorraine, look, one of your colleagues, John McGuinness, was out today saying there's actually widespread sort of anxiety within the Fianna Fáil party. They do realise that waiting... Uh, beyond the summer recess is going to be exceptionally damaging. Do you agree or disagree with John McGuinness, who said today, we need a budget, but we need measures before then. We cannot wait till October. I absolutely agree with John McGuinness, and it's something I and other colleagues have been saying as well, and I'd agree with what Gaz has said. Businesses need certainty. They plan in cycles, and uh, households need certainty as well. So I really will be impressing on, on my colleagues who are in Cabinet, and I'm sure my other backbench colleagues will be as well, that people need uh, some relief in the next couple of weeks, and they need the certainty. Like so you disagree then with... Michael Martin, with the leader of your party, that you're going to have to wait until October? Well, I, I, we're talking about a budget in October, but there, there can definitely be some reliefs put in place. There was a package of measures announced yesterday after Cabinet, which will give people some relief come October. The, the public service levy, um, some changes are we happening with that. We need reassurances now, though. Oh, oh and I, I completely agree with you, and I've been speaking to business owners within my own constituency, and all my colleagues are, and we've all been in touch, I suppose, throughout the pandemic. And so is this a position, in, then, uh, Lorraine, of Fianna Foyl? senators waiting till October is not an option. It's not a collective decision that we've taken, but I certainly know from speaking to other senators and, and other backbench TDs, we're on the ground. We understand what people are going through and we're talking to business owners and households and people need some relief. And I'm sure that the government will listen to us. We're having a one-day uh, meeting of the Parliamentary Party on the 1st of July specifically to discuss the upcoming budget, but we will be emphasising the need to act and give certainty to households and businesses. All right. Well, Paul Murphy, it sounds like what you and your party have been calling for, which is measures before October, is actually being heard by uh, some members of Fianna Fáil, and they will be pushing for those measures too. Well, the person who decides is the Taoiseach and the government, and for now, they have stuck to the line that they're not going to do anything substantial before the budget. And they like to talk about the measures that have been done so far. But even according to their own figures, some of the most vulnerable people have received just over 400 euros um, in terms of protection from the cost of living measures, uh, cost of living increases. But they're experiencing price increases of over 1,300 euros uh, this year. And that is getting worse on a day-by-day -day, uh, basis. So again, I think like this is why we have built the cost of living coalition, people for profit, Sinn Féin, ICTU, USI, senior citizens parliament to come together to try and get a lot of people out on the streets on Saturday and to point out some of the things that could be done, like price controls. I just the want government to has the power to put in price controls. I just want to go back to my panel here, because Amy and Fergus, I know you're keen to get in. Um, this inflation is not going to take a, a recess. Do you know what I mean? And when the, the politicians go home to their constituencies, they're going to see this. Food price inflation, groceries, um, the, the pieces of food that people are putting into their trolleys, that is not tracking the energy as quickly but that will catch up. There's always going to be a lull in that. But speaking to small businesses as well, they're very concerned about passing that on because everything has a, an impact. They pass on the increase, people buy less, and then that has the knock-on effect, and that goes back then. Businesses go out. Once these businesses are gone out of business, they're gone. Yeah, I suppose I mean, They got through COVID, but they'll be gone. Paul, what has been interesting is that the government has failed to explain why we have to wait till October, haven't they, really? 
Yeah, well, I, I think they've, they've, they've tried to kind of make, make a fist of it and say, look, we had this COVID contingency. That's been eaten into with the two billion me in measures that we have. We have to pay for taking in Ukrainian refugees. All of those pressures come, come in. You only have a certain pot, pot left. I think um, one, of the, one of the things that Lorraine touched on was this uh, change that was announced yesterday to, or on Tuesday to the public, public service levy on energy. Now, that's going to entitle the Commission for Regulation of Utilities to put a negative PSO onto your energy bills. It means that in 2023, indicatively, you could save about €127 Euro a year. The problem with that is that the cost of it is about, I think it's about €140 million. Euro. Um, and it's so not targeted. It's not targeted, so it's going to come off everybody's bill. But you're spending 140 million euro to take 127 euro a year off people's energy bills. So you're saving them a tenner a month. You're costing the exchequer 140 million. We know 140 million can go really, really far if put into the right, right programs. So what you end up with is the, is the government really having not a whole lot of money because the, the era of, of cheap borrowing is coming to an end. So you end up kind of having a lot of money that, that you can put towards something to stand still. If you're somebody in the in what Leo Fraggart dubs the, the squeezed middle, tinkering around the edges probably doesn't get you that far. So a tenner a month off your energy bill, you might you might take 15, 20 euro a month off diesel, you might you might put in some kind of uh, uh, rebate that, that might lower the cost of, uh, well, of that, groceries a little that, bit. So that does help people. It, it does. It does help but, people. But, and and, and I'd agree we need targeted measures as well. But I, I wouldn't uh, poo-poo uh, a tenner here and 20 quid there because people are feeling the pinch every every month. No, and, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not dismissing the, the, the yeah. impact of that. But what I'm saying is that people, when they wake up in the morning, will have more substantial bills. Uh, the likes of, okay, the, the yeah. of childcare, the likes of healthcare. I just want to let um, just back in here. The, the worst feature of where we are now is that it's going to get worse. Mm. That is the worst feature of it. The, the CSO published the inflation rate the other day, just under 8%, and they said it was the highest figure since 1984. The figure that was arrived at in 1984 was the lowest figure for the previous 11 years. We went through an 11-year period where inflation touched 21%, 20%, and all of that lies ahead of us unless we start acting. In, in my humble opinion, the worst thing the government could do right now is send everybody off on holidays for two months, shut the parliament down for two months. The first thing the government needs, the, the groups that Paul was talking about, senior citizens, parliament, who know what's happening on the ground, ICTU, who know what's happening on the ground, they're protesting at the weekend, but on Monday they should be sitting down with the Taoiseach, the Taoiseach and the Minister for Finance. So should everybody who's involved in this. There should be, we need to have a kind of round table somewhat about this. I, I'm not somebody who believes that it is sustainable for the government to throw a package together for next weekend and another package together uh, a because month Because this is only that. going one way. We, There's it's going only to be going one way and month. we need a planned, coherent approach that has the support of everybody. And that's it's not the budget? Tough. It's not the budget. I'm afraid it's not the budget. It, it's some kind of, you know, we've been here before. We've had national understandings, we've had national agreements, we've had ways of moderating all this in the past okay. that took their toll but worked. And if we, if we spend the next couple of weeks arguing about a tenor here and a tenor there, and I'm all in favour of a tenor here and a tenor there, we're not going to address the problem. There needs to and be... And people a... won't feel there's a plan. <coughs> all right. Excuse me. There needs to be a coherent approach and it needs to have everybody involved in developing it. All right. My thanks to Gaz Smith and Paul Murphy. The rest of the panel is going to be staying with me and after the break, why men are being urged to rethink their drinking habits.
You're very welcome back. Now, a new report by Alcohol Action Ireland says alcohol is a factor in one in four deaths of young men aged between 15 and 39. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. In Ireland, the report says most of the messages men get about alcohol emphasise a positive picture. Well, for more on this, my panel has stayed with me, and we are also joined by Dr. Bobby Smith. Uh, you are very welcome to the programme, and thank you for coming in, uh, Doctor. It's a factor in one of four deaths, so it's not the cause per se, but it will have played a role. Could you elaborate on that a bit yeah, more for me? Um, I suppose that age range, you know, 15 to 39, is one which we think at this point in time as a pretty safe uh, phase of the lifespan from a serious illness perspective. Uh, for young men, I suppose the big killers within that age range tend to be actually suicide and accidents, particularly in the younger end of that age range. And alcohol is very, very often um, part of the backstory in terms of those accidents uh, and, and deaths by suicide. And the difficulty is, I suppose, when we talk about um, alcohol in this country is we often talk about, you know, the not the recommended amount, but the sort of standard uh, drinks that are allowed every week. But there's no safe amount of alcohol, really, is it? Alcohol is not good for you. It's not a healthy choice. Um, unfortunately, it isn't. And that's just inconvenient news for, for those of us who drink. Um, there isn't a safe level of alcohol. So what we would, what we would refer to as a low-risk level which is uh, less than um, 17 standard drinks if you're male and 11 if you're female. But that's just eight and a half pints in a week for a and male. What often I think really shocks people is when we talk about binge drinking and the amount of alcohol that constitutes a, a binge episode. Yeah, traditionally in Ireland, certainly when I sort of entered the world of drinking back in the 1980s, a binge meant, you know, going on all-day benders for two or three days in a row. That was a binge. But the World Health Organization, uh, their definition of a binge uh, is just five standard drinks, which is two and a half pints. Now, they've moved away from that term partly because it tends to um, maybe 
confuse or, or alienate people like uh, I suppose people of my generation who grew up with a very different understanding of what a binge was, and they now refer to it as heavy episodic drinking. But the advice is that you know you're beginning to move into a, a point when you're uh, a little bit more at risk once you have that third pint. Uh Talk to me about the messaging around alcohol, particularly in this country. Yeah, it's really challenging. Um, you know, we do have a culture of, of pretty hard and heavy drinking. Uh, I think we used to be sort of proud of that. Um, we tend to compare ourselves, where we compare ourselves internationally, it's to other Europeans. But Europeans are the heaviest drinkers in the world. So by international standards, we are an outlier. And what we view as normal or average sort of drinking is by international standards, and certainly the WHO health uh, advice standards is uh, generally uh, in that risky zone. Do you think our attitude to alcohol has changed in this country? To be honest with you, I really think it has, uh, Kira. yeah. I, I think that, that that message about the relationship between drinking and health um, has resonated with more and more people. Um, I think teenagers are, more of them are delaying their entry into the world of drinking. Those that do commence drinking as young adults, many of them are choosing to drink less. Um, even in sort of middle age, I think there's more people choosing to step back from alcohol for a range of reasons. So perhaps that's one of the positives um, coming out of sort of young people and their trends around alcohol. Paul, we do tend, I think, to highlight, don't we, extreme cases. You know, we even talked this evening, uh, the headline figure that we all grabbed onto was the one in four deaths, um, sort of where alcohol played a factor. But does that, you know, mask maybe a conversation we should be having in this country about most people's attitude to alcohol? Yeah, I think we, we probably need a, a cultural conversation about our relationship and attitude towards alcohol. And I, I think one of the really important things for me is that that conversation is taken away from a policy or, or a law intervention. There doesn't have to be a state intervention here for all of us to have a grown-up conversation about how we approach alcohol and how we treat alcohol. I, I think, even personally speaking, I don't, I don't drink, but most of my friends who have... Who, who do drink, any of them who do, the ones who have the most evolved and the most mature relationship with alcohol are the people who, for whom at home growing up, alcohol was never a taboo subject. It wasn't that you got to 18 and the shackles were thrown off the drinks cabinet. It was that at 15 or 16, your parents trusted you. If you wanted to make that decision to have one or two drinks around them, that you were able to do that. And now that graduated to you seeing alcohol as something <coughs> that you could partake in, but didn't have to, I suppose, do the dog on, to use a phrase. But for me, I, I, I look at it, you know, because I, I would spend time in pubs or whatever, and, and you do see that kind of, I suppose, not um, not destructive drinking, but, but Irish people tend to drink a, a lot, a lot uh, in certain circumstances and very, very quickly. And, and those are kind of things that we kind of have to peel back and ask, why are we doing that? One of the things that we really have to look at is, is, is that whole paternalistic view of alcohol consumption in Ireland. Off-licensers, uh, we'll, we'll all leave here tonight, we won't be able to go to, to the off-license because they close at 10 o'clock. Uh, we're, we're in a situation where nightclub opening is going to be extended at the end of the year, but, yeah. we, you know, we're still in that kind of, you know, very kind of really, really... Uh, I suppose, blunt closing times. All of those things kind of have to be looked at in the round and say, right, do these feed into this idea that you have to drink right now as quickly as possible, as much as possible, and 
does that mean that you just have a warped view of, of alcohol in its entirety? Do we need to talk to Amy about the after effects of alcohol? You know, everybody can talk about the hangover, but perhaps talk about the poor performance at work or the poor performance on the playing field or the anxiety that a lot of people uh, feel when they have been drinking alcohol. The fear. I think um, I'll just go back to um, uh, the comments about mental health as well, the impact that alcohol has um, on the mental health of young people. Like we do have a problem with teen suicide, young people um, taking their own lives, self-harm, and alcohol does play a role into that. But in, I think that... In an awful lot of them. Yeah. In an awful lot of them. And I think the wider context as well is the impact that that has on everybody around the person too. Like we get a lot of um, parents and writing into our, you know what I mean, writing into the doctors, writing in. We do a lot of, uh, cover this a lot because pretty much everybody in Ireland will have a relationship with somebody that is alcohol dependent. And that, um, that uh, mental health impact is not just on the person that is um, uh, alcohol dependent, it is a whole family issue. Um, quite recently, we did a four-part series of, from a mother who wrote to us to tell us her story. And this is something she wanted to tell because she wanted to share, you know, share that journey that, because there was guilt for, on her behalf. She felt, what did I do wrong? Do you know? And this... Well, um, was, that, was that one of the difficulties, I suppose, maybe, Lorraine, is that we all will have to look at our relationship with alcohol. We need to look as women, too, about our relationship with alcohol. We need to look at the role of alcohol in the home at the moment. Absolutely. I think we need to have an honest conversation about how harmful uh, alcohol is and even a moderate amount of alcohol. And uh, Amy referred to, to people who have an alcohol dependency, but I think a lot of people wouldn't actually identify as having an alcohol dependency. And before politics, I was a family solicitor who, you know, I dealt with the, a lot of uh, family disputes. Um, domestic violence and alcohol played a very, very big role in, in difficulties within relationships. It has a massive impact in children. We need to have an honest conversation about how we approach uh, drinking. I think Paul touched on a point there about parents perhaps introducing maybe a 15 or a 16 year old at home to alcohol. I personally think that's very dysfunctional. Like a, a 15 year old is a child. They should not be, while they're growing and their brain developing, being exposed to something like alcohol. I, I would be. Well, I'd be interested in, in, in uh, Dr. Smith, your opinion on that. Yeah, I'm afraid the evidence of that is. Um, um, they're exposed pretty, to it anyhow? No, it's pretty clear that um, even though lots of parents do this, they introduce kids to their, their own children to alcohol, believing that it's going to help the situation or reduce risk. But the evidence is it does the opposite. Mm -hmm. On average, it actually tends to increase risk. Where teenagers, where 15-year-olds are given some parental permission to drink alcohol, albeit with lots of caveats that parents might provide, they seem to be then more likely to give themselves even more permission to drink it, in settings outside of that. I'm just very conscious, um, Fergus Finley, that we have been discussing Ireland's relationship with alcohol for a very, very, very long time. And it seems to have been difficult, if not impossible, to sort of change that culture. Oh, I, I don't know if it's impossible, but it is very pervasive. We have... Uh, I was in Tesco's fortnight ago, month ago. Um, pandemic was over anyway, and I second in the queue, the guy in front of me was emptying a trolley full of alcohol onto the counter. A dozen cases of this, a dozen cans of this, a dozen cans of that, three bottles of spirits, half a dozen wine. Incredible amount of alcohol being loaded up onto the counter. And I said to him, that's some do you're planning. And he turned to me and said, christening, mad, isn't it? We can't christen a child. We can't get married. We can't bury a loved one. We can't do any family thing in Ireland 
without alcohol. And we love it. We love it. I, I, the, one of the great phrases in Irish life is, I love a good funeral. And a good funeral is one where there's drink and a sing song and a decent wake. We rom we've romanticised alcohol for years and years and years. So I, I was involved years ago in a, in a controversial campaign that Bobby totally disapproved of. But in my head, its purpose was to try and change that whole cultural relationship. And one of the things, one of the researchers that I was working with at the time said, Eskimos have 75 different words for snow. In Ireland, we have 125 different words for getting drunk. And every single one of them is a euphemism. And there's a reason for that. Um, Dr uh, Bobby Smith, I know we're not going to uh, get any more time to uh, talk to you this evening, but I know the message from this new campaign is rethink that drink, isn't it? That's very much it. Any small reduction you can make in your drinking, there's health benefits to be had from that. All right, we're going to have to leave it there. My thanks to Dr Bobby Smith and Senator Lorraine Clifford-Lee. Lots more after this break, including Met Aaron's Joanna Donnelly on Europe's summer heatwave. Now, with a heat wave sending temperatures soaring in Spain and France, what hopes have we here in Ireland of experiencing some summer sunshine? Met Aaron's Joanna Daly joins me now. Joanna, I, or Donnelly, excuse me, I uh, have been waiting for this weekend for the last three days. I have missed all of the sunshine, but I knew it was going to be worth it. Tell me the sun's going to shine while we're all off work. No, nope. <laughs> I wish I could. I'm off work too this weekend, so it's not like I'm giving you bad weather and keeping the nice stuff for myself. Um, the heat wave is, is penetrating right up through the north of Europe and skirting the southeast of England too there on Friday and Saturday. But here in Ireland, we'll see a glancing blow across southeastern counties during the first half of tomorrow, Friday. But the Atlantic is actually going to win out. It's coming through tomorrow. There's actually rain there in the northwest at the moment. Stop shaking your head Sorry. at me. I can't make it any different. Sorry, that was unintentional. <laughs> I am disg <laughs> disgusted. It hasn't been a great summer today, has it? Is it going to get any better? No. No, that, um, that lovely anticyclone that usually pops up around this time of year from the Azores to give us that leaving cert weather has really been held down and held at bay by the Atlantic uh, coming through with that cloud and that stratocumulus that got stuck in that layer of, of cloud there today really put a downer on what could have been a really nice day. Now it'll start off nice tomorrow, then we have got some heat and then you can feel the, the, the warmth in the air out there at the moment. The temperatures tonight aren't going to really fall, but sure that's no good to anybody. Everybody wants a nice weekend, but I'm afraid at the moment it looks like temperatures will really be coming down later through tomorrow, Friday. They'll be low on Saturday. They'll start to recover a little bit on Sunday and when the sun comes out it still feels quite nice because you've got the direct radiation from the sun of course but overall we're really on the on the low side of the temperature curve there now at the moment and through the weekend. And for those people heading uh, to the continent heading to France and Spain I mean they really are experiencing record-breaking uh, temperatures I saw temperatures of 45 degrees in Seville today uh, what are they facing into? 
Yeah, that heat is going to build. Now, it will ease off after a, a, after the weekend? It'll, the temperatures will come down a little bit, but they're still they're going to crawl back up again. So if you are taking it off to the continent, it's wonderful to think that we would have liked some of that sunshine, but really that heat stress, particularly nighttime heat, can be very wearing on the body. You need to stay hydrated and stay cool. Don't go out in the midday sun, of course. Seek shelter and shade and don't forget your sunblock and a big floppy hat and plenty of water. They have the right idea there. All right. Uh, I will live and hope for the rest of the summer. Uh, thank you for taking the time uh, to speak to us. You're very welcome. Good night. Uh, now my panel is still here for a look at some of the other big stories of the week and the president Michael D. Higgins, uh, he certainly sent the housing debate um, front and centre of the political agenda this week. Let's just quickly remind ourselves of what he had to say. I have taken as well to speaking ever more frankly in relation to housing because I think it is a great, great, great failure. It isn't a crisis anymore, it is a disaster. Uh, Fergus Finlay, I'd be interested in your perspective. Was he right to say what he said? Well, that depends on your perspective. Uh, I mean, the, the, the much more erudite and academic commentators than I uh, would say that he was perfectly correct in what he said and absolutely wrong to say it. Now, I happen to take a different view. Um, I think the Constitution of Ireland obliges the incoming president to take a, an oath. Um, this president has taken it twice because he's been elected twice. Um, and that oath obliges him to put all of his abilities at the service and welfare of the Irish people. If he has something that he feels he needs to say about our, not anyone else's, but our, that was the word he used, our great national failure, I think he's obliged to do it. That's my personal opinion. Um, he's and he's allowed to bring in his own political ideology into that. Well, I don't, I, like, it's not an objective where, voice. Where's the ideology, Kira? Like he, he can, can anyone deny? Anyone, left, right, middle, deny that housing is our great national failure? In the 1930s, when Ireland was in deep recession, we built houses. In the 70s, when we were saddled with debt and emigration, we built houses. Sometime in the 90s, we decided that housing was going to be a commodity from now on, and we stopped building houses. And we have failed two generations now. Mm. I, I know young people who live in despair of ever owning their own home. And that's part of the Irish tradition that you, you know, have the ambition to own your own home. And we, we, the whole country, has failed. I, I, because I'm involved in this area and because I, I you know, work in, in this um, um, housing field uh, in a particular sort of way, I can tell you where the failure is, but that would take a longer discussion. Mm. But, but, but I don't think he was attacking politicians. I don't think he was attacking... Well, I think he was. I think he was. He was attacking <laughs> if he was, governments. he was, attacking... Well, which I, is the Fine Gael, Fine Foyle and Green I think he parties. was attacking po public policy. Um, the rot started in the 90s, and I think he was attacking public policy going back that far. I think what was very interesting too, Amy, about his comments was the reaction from government, was the reaction from politicians who came in here on the night, uh, from our Tanisha of Radker, who said, you know, we agree with him. It is a disaster. Is that what they were really saying, though, behind the scenes? More than likely not. I don't know if I can fully agree with it being, like, the, the, the crisis of our time, you know what I mean? We have several, like, the health system... Um, you know what I mean? We have so, we have so I, I, many... I don't think so it's a crisis of our time. I think it is the failure of our time. It's something we could have fixed. And Yeah, I think if we take the context in which the president said these comments, do you know what I mean? Now, whether he should have said it or not, um, I will I'll bend to your, to your, to your um, 
better knowledge on it, but like, the president has always been a campaigner and, um, you know what I mean, old habits die hard, I suppose. But he said this in the context <coughs> of opening a homeless, um, a, a homeless facility for young people. So, you know what I mean, in that context, it was, he was, you know what I mean, looking at the situation that we are in in Ireland, where our hotels are full of people that have no homes, there's nothing being built, there is nobody to build them, and we have, um, obviously, um, you know, refugees as well coming in. They all need housing. We had um, a group of um, refugees travel out to our farm earlier on in this year, and they're waiting for houses. Everybody's waiting for houses. So it, this is a crisis. It's not getting any better. Um, I think that uh, government politicians... But this is, this, is a, this, is, this is going to take a while. Like, you know what I mean? We can't just manufacture houses in the morning and there is nobody to build them. All right, uh, Paul, I want to move on to uh, one of the other stories in the paper today, which was um, a dinner that uh, Leo Varadkar uh, hosted uh, for Fine Gael. And by all accounts, according to some reports today, it was... It was a lonely affair. Some of the sort of big names that we would have associated with Fine Gael in the past weren't in attendance. Do you read anything into that? To be honest, not really. Um, I, I think it's very interesting um, that, that the focus was on who wasn't there. Andy Kenny wasn't there. Phil Hogan wasn't there. Um, Alan Shatter wasn't there. Phil Hogan and, and Alan Shatter have been open, openly critical of Leo Varadkar. Um, Andy Kenny was his predecessor as Taoiseach and I, I you know we could have had any number of reasons for not attending um I, I the, the dinner just so people are clear the dinner was to celebrate 10 years of Fine Gael and Parra yeah and it was it was planned for last year and obviously last year wasn't wasn't uh, wasn't able to go ahead I think one of the things that it does underline is that Fine Gael has been in, in power for for 11 years now and that there's probably a, a bit of um, internal, um, not, not necessarily dissent, but I, I suppose like anything else, you, you might just be a bit sick of each other after 11 years on on the hard road like that. For as you'd know better than me, you're. It wouldn't have been something. I'd, it wouldn't have been something I'd have been drawn attention to. But to be honest, I think. As in, if, you you wouldn't have held the dinner at all. You well, would have been if, marking if it was a, a personal, celebration if it was a personal of, of thing. Like it was Leo Varadkar's 10 years in office as teacher or something. I think other people would have been, wanted to celebrate that. But the parties in power for 10 years, like, come on, there's a lot of pluses and minuses there. I do, however, think that it would have merited front-page global news. New York Times, Washington Post, if Alan Shatter and Phil Hogan had been there. <laughs> <laughs> and then pigs would also start flying. Yes, absolutely. Uh, are there tensions, uh, Amy, do you think, within Fine Gael at this point? And is it, as uh, Paul was saying, you know, that's what happens when you're 10 years in power together. Things get a little fractious. Yeah, I, I do think that groups should be allowed to sit down and have a dinner. Now, whether you agree with a celebration of the 10 years or you don't agree with the celebration, I don't think it should be. I, I think it's another distraction away from the, the core issues. Um, I'm not sure Phil Hogan will ever attend uh, another dinner again. And um, I, um, I, I don't know if I would if I was him. But I do think that, you know, politicians should be allowed to convene. We do need people to talk to each other. But there's definitely tensions um, across government as well. And I don't like, you know, what I mean, based on the, pol the polls as well, um, that's certainly not going to get any better um, in, in a government that's, that's coming at us uh, following the next election. Tensions are going to be very high. Because it was reported that Enda Kenny and his wife were in Dublin, but they just chose to attend a separate event, Paul. Yeah, they were, they were at the event for the, the British ambassador the night before. So I, I suppose the argument could be made that they could have stayed in Dublin the, the extra night, but maybe maybe they had to get, get home to, to Mayo. There, there could have been any, any number of reasons. I think it one of the cases that um, Enda Kenny doesn't do dinner 
He, was, he played golf in the Clifton Golf event, but he went home after it. He didn't do the dinner. He prefers to come for his own dinner. Maybe one of those things, is it? Eating the dinner at home is a, is a male tradition. <laughs> <laughs> is there a shake-up, do you think, um, coming within Fine Gael? I mean, we know Leo Varadkar is going to take up the role of Taoiseach this December. Will he look at his front bench and think, look, we're only two years out from an election. I need to change things out. Because sometimes it can feel, I think, to people a little stale at this point when you look at some of the names who have been cabinet ministers for quite some time now. If Leo Varadkar doesn't complete a term as Taoiseach, um, I will bring in my current week's wages and I'll donate it to your holiday fund, Kira. <laughs> well, it's currently at zero, so what are you going to put into it? <laughs> it won't be an awful lot bigger, but you're welcome to it. I, I do think there is an, an element of that. I, I don't know if the, if the, how familiar the panel is with, with professional wrestling, but there's a thing in professional wrestling called TV age. It's, it's, it's how the audience perceives how long you've been on the show uh, or how long you might have been the champion. Exactly. Uh, so the TV age of for politicians is quite high, it I would imagine. More than the, so if you ask people how long has Simon oh, Harris right. been at Cabinet, they'd probably say maybe seven or eight years when, it, when it's a qu quite a bit shorter than that. It's just because of how we perceive uh, people okay. who are I in the news. Just want to get in very quickly because I know it is the biggest story um, on, uh, uh, for you this week, uh, Fergus. That's Beyonce's new album, Coming out, are you a fan? There's a new album. It is sent. July 29th, up, is it not I'd in the diary? I'd be out there queuing. I, 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 I wish I, you know, I, I, I'm going to have to plead absolute and complete ignorance. I know she wrote, she had a song called If You Want It, You Gotta Put a Ring on It. That's all I know. That's, that's good enough. In incredible. The, the social media frenzy is incredible around this, Amy, yeah. isn't it? Like I, I, was in, I went to, to see her in 2014, and I can't believe that's eight years ago. And I also can't believe it's six years since she TV brought H. out TV do, do music. So. We all need it. We all need a little bit of Beyonce, I think. Uh, that's it from us. My thanks to Fergus, Amy, and Paul, and all of the panel here from the late team. It's uh, good night. Take care, and let's hope for some of that sunshine. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series.